Chapter thirty three of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Barry O'Neill. Is He Popenjoy? by Anthony Trollope. Chapter thirty three. Captain de Baron. Of course, as the next day or two passed, the condition of Mrs. Houghton was discussed between Lord George and his wife. The affair could not be passed over without further speech. "'I am quite contented with you,' he said, more than contented. But I suppose she does not feel herself contented with Mr. Houghton. "'Then why did she marry him?' "'Ah, oh, why, indeed?' "'A woman ought to be contented with her husband, but at any rate what right can she have to disturb other people? I suppose you never wrote her a love-letter?' "'Never, certainly, since her marriage.' This indeed was true. The lady had frequently written to him, but he had warily kept his hands from pen and ink, and had answered her letters by going to her. And yet she could persevere. Women can do such mean things. I would sooner have broken my heart and died than have asked a man to say that he loved me. I don't suppose you have much to be proud of. I dare say she has half a dozen others. You won't see her again. I think I may be driven to do so. I do not wish to have to write to her, and yet I must make her understand that all this is to be over. She'll understand that fast enough when she does not see you. It would have served her right to have sent that letter to her husband. That would have been cruel, Mary. I didn't do it. I thought of doing it, and I wouldn't do it. But it would have served her right. I suppose she was always writing. She had written, but not quite like that, said Lord George. He was not altogether comfortable during this conversation. "'She writes lots of letters, no doubt. Do you then mean to go there again?' "'I think so. Of course I do not look upon her as being so utterly a castaway as you do. I believe her to be a heartless, vile, intriguing woman, who married an old man without caring a straw for him, and who doesn't care how miserable she makes other people. And I think she is very, very ugly.' She paints frightfully, anybody can see it, and as for false hair, why, it's nearly all false. Lady George certainly did not paint, and had not a shred of false hair about her. Oh, George, if you do go, do be firm. You will be firm, will you not? I shall go simply that this annoyance may be at an end. Of course you will tell her that I will never speak to her again. How could I? You would not wish it, would you? In answer to this there was nothing for him to say. He would have wished that a certain amount of half-friendly intercourse should be carried on, but he could not ask her to do this. After a time he might perhaps be able to press on her the advantage of avoiding a scandal, but as yet he could not do even that. He had achieved more than he had a right to expect in obtaining her permission to call once more in Berkeley Square himself. After that they would soon be going down to Brotherton, and when they were there things might be allowed to settle themselves. Then she asked him another question. You don't object to my going to Mrs. Jones' party on Thursday? The question was very sudden, so that he was almost startled. It is a dance, I suppose. Oh, yes, a dance, of course. No, I have no objection. She had meant to ask him to reconsider his verdict against round dances, but she could hardly do this at this moment. She could not take advantage of her present strength to extract from him a privilege which under other circumstances he had denied to her. 
Were she to do so, it would be as much as to declare that she meant to waltz because he had amused himself with Mrs. Houghton. Her mind was not at all that way given, but she did entertain an idea that something more of freedom should be awarded to her because her husband had given her cause of offence and had been forgiven, while he was still strong with that divine superiority which she had attributed to him, she had almost acknowledged to herself that he had a right to demand that she should be dull and decorous. But now that she had found him to be in the receipt of clandestine love-letters, it did seem that she might allow herself a little liberty. She had forgiven him freely. She had really believed that in spite of the letter she herself was the woman he loved. She had said something to herself about men amusing themselves, and had told herself that though no woman could have written such a letter as that without disgracing herself altogether, a man might receive it, and even keep it in his pocket, without meaning very much harm. But the accident must, she thought, be held to absolve her from some part of the strictness of her obedience. She almost thought that she would waltz at Mrs. Jones's ball, perhaps not with Captain de Baron, perhaps not with much energy or with full enjoyment, but still sufficiently to disenthrall herself. If possible, she would say a word to her husband first. They were both going to a rather crowded affair at Lady Brabazon's before the night of Mrs. Jones's party. They had agreed that they would do little more than show themselves there. He was obliged to go to this special place, and he hated staying. But even at Lady Brabazon's she might find an opportunity of saying what she wished to say. On that day she took him out in her brougham, and on her return home was alone all the afternoon till about five. And then who should come to her but Captain de Baron? No doubt they two had become very intimate. She could not at all have defined her reasons for liking him. She was quite sure of one thing, she was not in the least in love with him, but he was always gay, always good-humoured, always had plenty to say. He was the source of all the fun that ever came in her way, and fun was very dear to her. He was nice-looking and manly, and gentle withal. Why should she not have her friend? He would not write abominable letters and ask her to say that she loved him. And yet she was aware that there was a danger. She knew that her husband was a little jealous. She knew that Augusta Mildmay was frightfully jealous. That odious creature, Mrs. Houghton, had made ever so many nasty little allusions to her and Jack. When his name was announced, she almost wished that he had not come. But yet she received him very pleasantly. He immediately began about the Baroness Banman. The Baroness on the previous evening made her way on to the platform at the Disabilities, when Dr. Fleabody was lecturing, and Lady Selina was presiding, and had, to use Jack's own words, kicked up the most delightful bobbery that had ever been witnessed. She bundled poor old Lady Selina out of the chair. Nonsense! So I am told, took the chair by the back and hoisted her out. Didn't they send for the police? I suppose they did at last, but the American doctor was too many for her. The Baroness strove to address the meeting, but Olivia Q. Fleabody has become a favorite and carried the day. I am told that at last the bald-headed old gentleman took the Baroness home in a cab. I'd have given a five-pound note to be there. I think I must go some night and hear the doctor. I wouldn't go again for anything. You women are all so jealous of each other. Poor Lady Selina, I'm told she was very much shaken. How did you hear it all? From Aunt Ju, said the captain. Aunt Ju was there, of course. 
the baroness tried to fly into aunt ju's arms but aunt ju seems to have retired then the quarrel must have been made up between captain de baron and miss mildmay that was the idea which at once came into mary's head he could hardly have seen aunt ju without seeing her niece at the same time perhaps it was all settled perhaps after all they would be married it would be a pity because she was not half nice enough for him and then mary doubted whether captain de baron as a married man would be nearly so pleasant as in his present condition i hope miss mildmay is none the worse she said a little shaken in her nerves was uh, augusta mildmay there oh dear no it is quite out of her line she is not at all disposed to lay aside the feeblenesses of her sex and go into one of the learned professions by the by i am afraid you and she are not very good friends what makes you say that captain de baron but are you i don't know why you should inquire it is natural to wish that one's own friends should be friends has miss mildmay said anything about me not a word nor you about her and therefore i know that something is wrong the last time i saw her i did not think that miss mildmay was very happy said mary in a low voice did she complain to you mary had no answer ready for this question she could not tell a lie easily nor could she acknowledge the complaint which the lady had made and had made so loudly i suppose she did complain he said and i suppose i know the nature of her complaint i cannot tell though of course it was nothing to me it is very much to me though i wish lady george you could bring yourself to tell me the truth he paused but she did not speak if it were as i fear you must know how much i am implicated i would not for the world that you should think that i am behaving badly you should not permit her to think so captain de baron she doesn't think so she can't think so i am not going to say a word against her she and i have been dear friends and there is no one hardly any one for whom i have a greater regard but i do protest to you lady george that i have never spoken an untrue word to augusta mildmay in my life i have not accused you but has she of course it is a kind of thing that a man cannot talk about without great difficulty is it not a thing that a man should not talk about at all that is severe lady george much more severe than i should have expected from your usual good nature had you told me that nothing had been said to you there would have been an end of it but i cannot bear to think that you should have been told that i had behaved badly and that i should be unable to vindicate myself have you not been engaged to marry miss mildmay never then why did you allow yourself to become so so much to her because i liked her because we were thrown together because the chances of things would have it so don't you know that that kind of thing is occurring every day of course if a man were made up of wisdom and prudence and virtue and self-denial this kind of thing wouldn't occur but i don't think the world would be pleasanter if men were like that adelaide houghton is miss mildmay's most intimate friend and adelaide has always known that i couldn't marry as soon as miss houghton's name was mentioned a dark frown came across lady george's brow captain de baron saw it but did not know as yet anything of its true cause of course i am not going to judge between you said lady george very gravely but i want you to judge me i want you of all the world to feel that i have not been a liar and a blackguard captain de baron how can you use such language because i feel this very acutely i do believe that miss mildmay has accused me to you 
i do not wish to say a word against her i would do anything in the world to protect her from the ill words of others but i cannot bear that your mind should be poisoned against me will you believe me when i tell you that i have never said a word to miss mildmay which could possibly be taken as an offer of marriage i had rather give no opinion will you ask adelaide no certainly not this she said with so much vehemence that he was thoroughly startled mrs houghton is not among the number of my acquaintances why not what is the matter i can give no explanation and i had rather that no question should be asked but so it is has she offended lord george oh dear no that is to say i cannot tell you anything more about it you will never see me in berkeley square again and now pray say no more about it poor adelaide well it does seem terrible that there should be such misunderstandings she knows nothing about it i was with her this morning and she was speaking of you with the greatest affection mary struggled hard to appear indifferent to all this but struggled in vain she could not restrain herself from displaying her feeling may i not ask any further questions no captain de baron nor hope that i may be a peacemaker between you certainly not i wish you wouldn't talk about it any more i certainly will not if it offends you i would not offend you for all the world when you came up to town lady george a few months ago there were three or four of us that soon became such excellent friends and now it seems that everything has gone wrong i hope we need not quarrel you and i i know no reason why we should i have liked you so much i am sure that you have known that sometimes one does come across a person that one really likes but it is so seldom i try to like everybody she said i don't do that i fear that at first starting i try to dislike everybody i think it is natural to hate people the first time you see them did you hate me she asked laughing oh horribly for two minutes then you laughed or cried or sneezed or did something in a manner that i liked and i saw at once that you were the most charming human being in the world when a young man tells a young woman that she is the most charming human being in the world he is certainly using peculiar language in most cases the young man would be supposed to be making love to the young woman mary however knew very well that captain de baron was not making love to her there seemed to be an understanding that all manner of things should be said between them and that yet they should mean nothing but nevertheless she felt that the language which this man had used to her would be offensive to her husband if he knew that it had been used when they two were alone together had it been said before a room full of people it would not have mattered and yet she could not rebuke him she could not even look displeased she had believed all that he had said to her about augusta mildmay and was glad to believe it she liked him so much that she would have spoken to him as to a brother of the nature of her quarrel with mrs houghton only that even to a brother she would not have mentioned her husband's folly when he spoke of her crying or laughing or sneezing she liked the little attempt at drollery she liked to know that he had found her charming where is the woman who does not wish to charm and who is not proud to think that she has succeeded with those whom she most likes she could not rebuke him she could not even avoid letting him see that she was pleased you have a dozen human beings in the world who are the most delightful she said and another dozen who are the most odious quite a dozen who are the most odious but only one lady george who is the most delightful 
He had hardly said this when the door opened, and Lord George entered the room. Lord George was not a clever hypocrite. If he disliked a person, he soon showed his dislike in his manner. It was very clear to both of them on the present occasion that he did not like the presence of Captain de Baron. He looked very gloomy, almost angry, and after speaking hardly more than a single word to his wife's guest, he stood silent and awkward, leaning against the mantelpiece. "'What do you think Captain de Baron tells me?' Mary said, trying, but not very successfully, to speak with natural ease. "'I don't in the least know.' There has been such a scene at the Women's Institute. That baroness made a dreadful attack on poor Lady Selina Protest. She and the American female doctor were talking against each other from the same platform at the same time, said de Baron. Very disgraceful, said Lord George. But then the whole thing is disgraceful, and always was. I should think Lord Plausible must be thoroughly ashamed of his sister. Lady Selina was sister to the Earl of Plausible, but, as all the world knew, was not on speaking terms with her brother. "'I suppose that unfortunate German lady will be put in prison,' said Lady George. "'I only trust that she may never be able to put her foot into your house again.' Then there was a pause. He was apparently so cross that conversation seemed to be impossible. The captain would have gone away at once had he been able to escape suddenly. But there are times when it is very hard to get out of a room, at which a sudden retreat would imply a conviction that something was wrong. It seemed to him that for her sake he was bound to remain a few minutes longer. "'When do you go down to Brothershire?' he asked. "'About the 7th of July,' said Mary. "'Or probably earlier,' said Lord George, at which his wife looked up at him, but without making any remark." "'I shall be down at my cousin's place some day in August,' de Baron said. Lord George frowned more heavily than ever. "'Mr. de Baron is going to have a large gathering of people about the end of the month.' "'Oh, indeed,' said Mary. "'The Houghtons will be there.' Then Mary also frowned. "'And I have an idea that your brother, Lord George, has half-promised to be one of the party. I know nothing at all about it.' My cousin was up in town yesterday with the Houghtons. Good-bye, Lady George. I shan't be at Lady Brabazon's, because she has forgotten to invite me, but I suppose I shall see you at Mrs. Montacute Jones. I shall certainly be at Mrs. Montacute Jones, said Mary, trying to speak cheerfully. The bell was rang, and the door was closed, and then the husband and wife were together. A dreadful communication has just been made to me, said Lord George, in his most solemn and funereal voice. A most dreadful communication. End of chapter 33